Welcome to the Hoosey Podcast with me, Phil, and this week, as I promised you last week, we have a very special guest with us, and this one I'm glad to introduce from the, I was going to say, the Hugo-nominated Verity <laughs> Podcast, <laughs> it's Erica Renson. Welcome to the show, Erica. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Excellent, excellent. And how thrilled were you to get a Hugo nomination as well? Oh my, I, I, I was... Got... <laughs> I said, I couldn't let this go without asking. <laughs> I was just gobsmacked and flabbergasted. I was, I, I, I couldn't believe it. That's one of those things that I, I grew up knowing what the Hugos were, and they just seemed like yeah. this unattainable, amazing thing. And I, it never, ever crossed my mind that that was something that someday I would be nominated for. I just didn't think I would ever, <laughs> think that wouldn't happen. And it did. Holy cow. Excellent. So any of you guys going to turn up at the awards, or uh, you're just going to sort of wake up and read it in the paper the next day? <laughs> Oh, believe me, I wish I could go. If I win the lottery <laughs> between then and now, I will take my millions and, and go to London. Uh, Liz and Tansy were already planning on being at Worldcon this year, so they will yeah. be there. I don't think anybody else is going to be able to afford to make it. That's the most expensive time to travel to London, you know? Is it real? I, I wouldn't know, actually, having sort of you know lived in London all my life, right. so I've never had to travel there. Yeah, we looked up flights just for fun, and it, for my husband Stephen and I to go, it would be seventeen hundred dollars a piece just for the what? flights. What? Just for the flights. Good God! I didn't realize it was that expensive. Yeah, it's insane. And is that with one of the sort of I'd say not like Virgin or BA? Is that one of the sort of like the the lower? Is that the one of the cheapest flights you can get that as was, well? 17? Yeah, bottom wow. of the barrel. My God, <laughs> I think it'd be cheaper to create your own time machine, I think, to get over here. But yeah, I'll work on um, that too. Excellent. Excellent. Now, um, as you what we usually do on this show, we cover a little bit of news um, before we sort of get on to onto the main feature. And uh, well, this week, of course, I think the big news is we've got a confirmation that Doctor Who is back in August. Hooray. Hey. Hooray! And we got a, tea, uh, a little teaser trailer as well. Uh, what, what did you think of that? I think that this is one of those cases where teaser is the appropriate word because it really didn't give us anything. And I know a lot of people complain about that, but I'm fine with it. I don't want to know very much until it happens. So I'm just I'm just happy that that I know that it's coming back. And I don't care that it only took them 16 seconds to tell me that. <laughs> well, I thought it was sort of suitably enigmatic, actually. I, I quite like the uh, sort of the silhouette of uh, Peter Capaldi against the uh, against the TARDIS. But yes, as you say, unfortunately, there has been a few uh, naysayers. You know, of, you know, is that it? And we already know what he looks like. Why is he in silhouette? And the uh, why yes, is he in silhouette? I'll tell you why he's in silhouette because it looks cool. That's why. Exactly. Exactly. It's the. I think that's the. Uh, the sort of the, the look they're going for with, with Capaldi. It's a bit more mysterious, I think, than um that would than what has come previously. So I'm I I got quite excited about seeing that and plus the fact that I didn't even know it was happening. Yeah. It was a shock to me too. Yeah. Um I was just uh I thought it was what was on before it came off. It was the one show, which is on BBC One. Uh, it's on it's on every weeknight and this just appeared out of nowhere and I just sort of caught it sort of just out the corner of my eye. I wasn't paying any attention. I thought, oh my God, Doctor Who. So, um, so <laughs> yes, I was suitably surprised and um, fantastic. Uh, absolutely great news. Uh, so uh, what do you reckon? A, uh, 
as it is in the UK. Have your bank holidays start as it has been in previous years? Um, I don't know because I don't know your bank holidays. <laughs> right. Okay. It's usually around the end of August. I think this year it's sort of around about the 20th, I think it's the 23rd or 24th of August. Yes. The 23rd, actually, 23rd of August was my guess from way back. That was the, just sort of when I thought it was going to be mid to late August, the 23rd. And, and on Verity, we have a, a very substantial spreadsheet to plan out all of our episodes. And we needed to just guess to be able to get all of those into the spreadsheet, all the new, new episodes. And uh, August 23rd is... Is the time that we guessed so i'm really hoping that it's that because then we don't have to adjust the cells on our spreadsheet <laughs> it comes to something where you're, you're hoping the tv show doesn't start so you don't have to change a spreadsheet that mm-hmm. is <laughs> welcome to my life <laughs> ah there, now the other cool of uh, course the bit of news that um we sort of I mentioned on last week's podcast but um obviously we knew that that the doctor was up for a bafta and it won yay hooray um and it's an audience award as well, which is also um, a, a nice thing to have, mm-hmm. that the audience actually uh, votes for it. So, yes, I'm, I'm really quite pleased. It beats off a competition from Breaking Bad, um, The Great British Bake Off, Broadchurch, which I must admit I thought was a, a bit of a shoo-in for the award, actually, because that was incredibly popular. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a Channel 4 series called Gogglebox. Okay. I, don't know if you're, I don't know if you're familiar with, with Gogglebox. Never heard of it. It sounds made up. Okay, do you even know what a goggle box is? No. Right, okay. It's um, a British slang uh, name for television. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, basically, because so you've got. a TV show called TV? Well, it's, it's, yeah, exactly. It's a, it's, yeah, basically, it's a TV show called television, basically. <laughs> so, and all it is, it's like a fly on the wall um, program where you watch families watching television. Whoa, hello, voyeurism. I know. Um, I must admit, I've never watched uh, a single episode of it because I'm fed up to the back teeth of reality television. So, uh, yeah, I shout enough at the television rather than me shouting at people watching the the television. Also, shouting the television, exactly. So, (laughs) Uh, another program called Educating Yorkshire is another thing. I think that was um, uh, about a school up in Yorkshire, another fly on the wall uh, um, program as well. So, uh, but it did beat some. Some very strong competition, especially from Broadchurch and Breaking Bad, and also the Great British Bake Off is insanely popular uh, here as well. So that one I've heard bit... of. Thank you, Twitter. Ah, right. Well, as a bit of an amateur cook, I'm I'm quite keen on that program myself, actually. So <laughs> the only reality show that I watch on a regular basis are cooking shows. I will I will watch reality cooking shows until the cows come home. Same here. I love them. I can't get enough of them, to be mm-hmm. honest. But uh, I just to get some more ideas for recipes. Yeah. More than anything else, but uh, now um, also Adventure in Space and Time was uh, uh, up for best single drama, but that lost out to Channel 4's Complicit. Um, and David Bradley did win an award for best supporting actor in Broadchurch. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, not for um, uh, Adventure in Space and Time, unfortunately. But uh, so congratulations to him. It was um, I, I think he should have won for an Adventure in Space and Time because I thought he was absolutely fantastic in that. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was good in Broadchurch as well, but I think that his performance was a little bit, I don't know, more robust, maybe in Adventure in Space and Time. I don't know. They were both good. They are good. He's a, he's a good actor anyway. He's yes. a very, very good actor. So anyway, that's it for the news because it's a very, very quiet news week, as one would expect, leading up to a uh, to a new series. But uh, But if there's anything else, we will bring it to you next week. So for another week then, that was the news. <laughs> Thank you. 
Now then, on to our main feature. Now, the reason you're here, Erica, because I asked you on to talk about a Doctor Who story. Maybe it was your favourite. Maybe it's not your favourite. I don't know. But you have chosen, if you'd like to announce to our listeners. Mm -hmm. I have chosen Asylum of the Daleks. Where are we? Spaceship, right? Not just any spaceship. The Parliament of the Daleks. The Asylum must be the Predator of the Daleks will be deployed. I'm not a Predator, just a man with a plan. Doctor! Doctor! Who killed all the Daleks? Who do you think? Which for me, I have to say, is a, a, a bit of a, a a different sort of a pick for me because usually I gravitate to classic series stories. But I thought, you know what? I've been talking about classic series stories for a long time here. I want to talk about something new for a change. Okay, so why Asylum of the Daleks? Well, I just I tried to think of New Who. What what do I want to watch again? What is something that I really, really liked the first time? And what is a, an episode that had something that I feel very passionate about to talk about? And Asylum of the Daleks was my first choice. And then I watched it and I was like, yes, this is the perfect pick because this is so awesome. <laughs> so I'm really happy with my choice. Okay, now I must admit, I haven't watched this since uh, we reviewed it a couple of years ago. And it was actually the first time I actually um, broke the um, disc out of, um, into my Blu-ray player. So it's a, it's a very long time since I last watched it. And I seem to recall we did like it when we reviewed it at the time. Mm -hmm. And I must admit, I still like it now. <laughs> actually, I think I like it more now than I did back then. I think I do too. Yeah. Um, so, what what is it in particular you really really like about this episode? Is it is it the the story or the performances, or is it just an amalgamation of everything that brings it together for you? I think it's uh, I think it's probably I don't want to say it's the entire story because I feel like the story itself is is not what the episode is about. Strangely enough, it's it's kind of a Dalek story that's not really about the Daleks, and I think that's why mm -hmm. I like it. Um, I'm not a huge Dalek fan. I don't dislike them, but. Their stories are almost never the stories that I gravitate to as ones I love, except Destiny of the Daleks, oddly enough. That's my other favorite. Yes. Really? <laughs> I, am that, I am that weird Doctor Who fan, yes. <laughs> but even in that case, it's not about the Daleks. It's about Lala Ward's first performance as Romana. So, That's true. That's so anytime true. I love a Dalek story, it's, it's probably because there's something else going on. And here there, there are several something else's going on that are really exciting. This was the first story, the reason that I picked it in the first place that it jumped into my head is this is the first story that I finally kind of got Amy and Rory as characters and as a couple. I just had not been on board with them before. I didn't hate them. I just was kind of like, you know, there are some companions you, the, you really connect to. And then there are some that you're just sort of like, meh, I'm just waiting for the next guy to roll along. And that's what Amy and Rory were for me. They were mildly interesting, but that was about it. Until Asylum of the Daleks rolls around and you find out that they're getting divorced. And so many people just flipped their wigs at this. They couldn't believe that doesn't make any sense. Why would they get divorced? Rah, rah, rah. And I'm 100% on the other side of that coin. I, I said, oh, yeah, of course they would get divorced. When you've been running around the universe, saving it and saving the world and doing all this kind of crazy stuff... When you go back to regular old Earth and time passes at one minute per minute like it does for every other schlub, of course things are going to be different and you're maybe not going to be able to hold your marriage together in the same way. So 
learning that about them made them seem like three-dimensional and real characters and then watching how they pieced things back together and what the reasoning was for you know the the actual uh, catalyst for the split um, it just it it all suddenly started to dovetail and make sense for me and I was like okay I can see these characters as actual characters now yeah I mean I must admit when I watched it again today I I sort of realized just how much I actually miss Amy and Rory on the show now I I really I mean I always liked um the character of Amy and I thought to begin with Rory was a little bit shoehorned in but he really really did grow on me um and especially towards the end of series five um I thought yeah he's 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 up there for me he really is um and the two of them together um I thought was uh how can I put it sort of like a not not a master stroke as such but it, it was like a you never had like a husband and wife team on board the TARDIS before mm-hmm. and I loved that I really loved that and it, I thought it brought a whole new whole new sort of character dynamic to it and of course when this episode they're getting divorced um as you say there was a lot of people that weren't entirely happy about that because you know they thought that you know um amy and rory were uh together for life and well as they are as you find out during the course of this episode they were meant for each other that you know you know that's their you know their destiny um i think think a lot of the problem that a lot of people had was that it just seemed so sudden you know we didn't actually see their relationship starting to crumble and break down and to that i say yes it was sudden but it has to be because doctor who is supposed to be a family show it's enjoyable it's on for the most part kind of lighthearted. it you know Mm. we don't really get into kitchen sink drama stuff too often and we wouldn't want to watch a relationship breaking down on doctor who that's not what you're supposed to see so that that's the kind of thing that happens off screen and then gets fixed on screen it's perfect yeah i think if you had that sort of running up to this episode where you watch the breakdown of, the, of their marriage i don't think it would have <laughs> sustained the viewership really would it so exactly it's not exactly family viewing that but i must admit i, I remember seem to remember when um i reviewed this last time that i sort of took exception to the fact that um of course amy and rory have had children in the form of River Song. Now, obviously, that's not a normal, um, an, 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 a normal birth. It's not a normal um, sort of uh, growing up with your child relationship. Um, but when I sort of watched it again today, I think I I got it. If you know, I could I, I could understand what um, what Amy was was going through, uh, mainly because of uh, my wife and, and mine's own um, sort of journey to, to having children. It, it was it was a difficult. A difficult journey so i i, I get i'd sort of un, i'd sort of understand that a lot more now mm-hmm. um yeah, so I, I don't have kids but i i can totally see how uh if if you are the kind of person who wants to have kids quote unquote and raise children then suddenly finding out you have an adult daughter somewhere that you're never going to get to see as a child again i don't really think that cuts it is in, in the same no <laughs> no it doesn't it really doesn't so yeah i mean i'll sort of uh, i really have sort of softened towards that aspect of it now but uh, but of course the other thing about this story introduces to a, a future companion in the, in the form of oswin yes. or clara as she's now known as mm-hmm. um now I'm, i still think that was an absolute masterstroke mm-hmm. it was. I, was I was floored the first time i saw it because i was like is that because i'd already seen her picture I was like, wait a minute, that's that's Jenna Coleman. What is going on? And and in addition to that, I mean, I have no baggage uh, associated with Jenna Coleman because I'd never seen her in anything before. I just mm-hmm. immediately loved her in this so much. And and then when they made her Dalek and killed her off at the end, I was just like falling out of my chair. What is going on? 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. How are they going to bring her back again? This was the... I know there was a lot of, um, as usual, sort of internet theories at the time that, you know, it, it, she was playing a completely different character. It's not the character she's going to be playing later on. Oh, yes, it is going to be her. And there was a lot of, and there was a lot of arguments going on. And uh, I think, yeah, obviously, Moffat had it all... Actually, no, he didn't have it, really have it that planned out at the time. He, it, it, was, it was a bit of a, a last-minute addition, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah, I think he sort of had, from what I heard, he had that story written out and it was this character that was going to, you know, tragically be a Dalek at the end and die. And I feel like it was, the story I heard was that at the last minute, he was like, wait a minute, this all happens on set. There's no location shooting. So we could have Jenna come in and do this character uh, without the public knowing and it could be a great big surprise so i wouldn't be surprised if he had that sort of stroke of of brilliance in in his head and then maybe built the entire mystery around that to some extent but i don't i don't know about that part of it no no it, i think the other thing as well that i think was amazing at the time was the the showing of this at the bfi mm-hmm. and moffat sort of begged the audience not to let on that jenna cole was in this episode and God bless the lot of them. Um, no, nobody let on, did they? It was amazing. I know. That's like, what... Stuff like that makes me think that there's still a, a possibility of a good future for humanity. Thank you for reinstilling my, <laughs> my joy exactly. in the world. Because <laughs> I think, wasn't it, um, I'm trying to think where the one where it got completely ruined um, after and it got it put out on, on um, Gallifrey base, didn't it? Yeah, I don't. Rem- I know what you're talking about, but I can't bring to yeah. mind which story that was related to. Oh, what wasn't it? Was it eleventh hour, or was it the first one out of um, the um, Impossible Astronaut? It might have been that. Yeah, I can't. It seems such a long time ago now, but yeah, <laughs> they all put yeah. together. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I must admit, I, I, I mean, I loved sort of um, Oswin, as she's known in, in this in this particular story. I thought it was a really, really good thing um, to do. I liked her, um, her characterization. Mm-hmm. This is my uh, favorite, actually, of all of the different Claras or Oswins or whatever. This this the, this one, the first, is is my best. I like her. Yeah. Now, a lot of people have said that. Do you think she's sort of become a bit of a? Um, well, she hasn't really become a proper companion. She was there like a a mystery to be solved, really, wasn't she? As a, as a character. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, at this point, I would say Oswin wasn't a, a mystery to be solved because she, this was her first appearance. So there's no mystery mm. surrounding her yet at this point. Uh, once she shows up again in The Snowmen, then that becomes, you know, Victoria and Clara. Then that's a mystery because the doctor is like, wait a minute, she said the same thing. He doesn't know what she looks like. So he didn't recognize her at first. Um but actually, the thing that that I like about Clara, uh, our actual companion, who then comes in in the Bells of Saint John, is the fact that Clara Prime, as I refer to her, the the original, <laughs> um, that that she herself, she's not actually a mystery. There is nothing remotely mysterious about her. There's been nothing weird or different about her life at all um, up until the point that the Doctor meets her, and then afterwards, she's just a regular person. It's not until she makes this decision to to jump into the doctor's time screen stream and then fragments herself that 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 becomes the mystery but none of that stuff is actually related to the person the doctor meets in the bells of saint john she's a regular person and i think that's great yeah exactly yeah i couldn't put it better myself actually so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think that's the um i, I do think a lot of people have a lot of problems with her though because i think they, they don't don't yet see her as a, as a, a proper companion which i i don't really 
I, I don't buy into that. No, really. I think those people are just cold-hearted. <laughs> no. I think they are. Yes. <laughs> no, I, Clara is my, I think, my favorite new series companion. I just, I like her so much more than just about anybody else. I'm a Donna fan as well, but I, oh yeah, I love Donna. But, oh, I absolutely but love of her. the Claras, Osmond is my favorite. And I've heard, I heard a very interesting fan theory. I think it, it might have been Tansy actually on Verity who said that the reason that the the, the fragmented Claras and the Oswins and stuff are maybe a little bit more um, clever and genius and, and, and stuff than, than our regular Clara is because it's it's a f- function of her jumping into the Doctor's time stream and being fragmented that way that she's got a little bit of the Doctor in her as well. So all of the fragmented Claras we see are, are, the Cl- are Clara plus because there's like a, a touch yes. of the Doctor in there. And I think that, that works out really well because if you look at Oswin as a character... It's it's very interesting, I think, sort of from a, a sort of a non-gendered perspective, because if you just look at the script and you don't look at the genders of, of any of the characters, the lines that come out of Oswin's mouth are you could assign them to a guy or to a girl and they would work very well. In fact, I think historically they might actually work even better looking at it from a, a male perspective because she's very forward and she's very flirty mm. and very assertive and sure of herself. And those are characteristics that work super awesome for her and make her fantastic. But historically, I think would have been assigned to a, a, a guy sort of a role. And and I think Moffat gets a lot of stick for, for being quote unquote sexist. And I don't generally buy into that. And here's a great example of why. Yeah, he does, he has got a lot of uh, detractors that you know people saying he he can't write for women, and I think it's always... crap. <laughs> yeah, I do as well, actually. I, I think it's probably how can I put it? It's probably some of the older school fans, possibly, or people just sort of with one foot in the past to seem to think that you know when you've got the heroes is is male and the his companion, which is predominantly female should always be screaming and going, oh, what's that doctor? And waiting for the explanation. So I think when you've got someone, as you say, who's forthright in their views, is intelligent and and basically knows what they're doing and doesn't need the doctor necessarily, I think a lot of people still have a bit of a problem with that. Mm-hmm. And so I, think some, bit... I think some people just like to complain and they will find something to complain about no matter what. I'm the opposite. Yeah. I will... Like, yeah. I, I, generally just want to find something to be happy about and this story had so much of that all over the place for me some people are happy complaining though that's the, the yep. that makes them happy but um I, but i must admit i mean regular listeners to um to this podcast i've been labeled as the most miserable man in podcasting <laughs> okay. so well i'm sorry for i'm sorry for lifting you up into joy here on this episode i apologize no, it's just um, I think usually if if I don't like something, I'll just be quite forthright about it. But what, no matter how bad something is, I'll always find something good. And There's always something to enjoy. And I think that's the that's the wonderful thing about Doctor Who. It could be a, a terrible story to me, but there's always something in there that will lift it. Oh yeah, always. and I think that's important too because I don't. I, I certainly never pretend that I like everything when I because I don't like everything. I think that 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 would be unreasonable to ask for. So so I think it's fine to complain about the stuff that you genuinely don't like because I do that yes. too sometimes. Yes, it's, you've got to. You go mad if you didn't actually. So just saying everything was nice and wonderful. It's it's not uh, well, it's not human for a start to do <laughs> that. So um, now, obviously the obviously this is called Asylum of the Daleks and. What do you think of the sort of? I know you sort of like said so that you're not that keen on a lot of the Dalek stories apart from D 
Destiny of the Daleks. <laughs> Do you think this what this one was? As you say, they're, they're not really the driving force behind it, but what you do see of them. Um, do you think it, it's sort of it's a good Dalek story? In so it, I know it's in the background mm-hmm. as such, but I, do you think it's, it's serviceable or not? Or well, honestly, I think as a Dalek story, it probably is not that great. It's hard for me to say. As I said, I'm not a Dalek fan, and I think if I was a Dalek fan, I probably would kind of poo-poo this one a little bit, uh, mm. simply because they are so much a backdrop. Um, especially the whole Dalek pol- parliament and stuff. They're they just don't really do very much except ask the doctor for help, which is a nice twist, but feels a little mm. bit feels a little bit dodgy and weird that all of a sudden they can just grab the doctor. Why haven't they done it before? And and I mean, I guess that he tries to sort of explain that away by saying that hatred is beautiful and maybe that's why we can't destroy you, doctor, and yada yada yada. I think I just feel like that part of it <laughs> plot wise might be a little bit thin. And, and weak, but I do like all of the sort of classic Daleks that are displayed and paraded around um, on in the asylum of the Daleks. You know, you get to see this, apparently the special weapons Dalek is somewhere in the background. I don't really care about that sort of thing, but I've heard people <laughs> say it over and over and over again. Oh, it's 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 there front and center actually. <laughs> in, one, in one of the scenes, yeah. Um, okay. Actually, they they had that they had that there at the BFI last year when they when they showed Remembrance of the Daleks. They had the um, the actual prop there, which was. Uh, it was a sight to behold, let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think that that is cool, and I really like the sort of nod to the past when he goes through the intensive care, you know, the Daleks from Vulcan and Axelon and, and all those places. So I, I think Spiridon, it's, exactly, yeah. I think it's a neat a neat thing, but I think it's largely fan service, and I, I think that just the fact that the plot itself revolves around Amy, Rory, the Doctor, and this weird new Oswin person, who herself does become, you know, we find out that she has been a Dalek this whole time, and, and I think in that way, this is probably the coolest Dalek story ever, because you have a Dalek as one of the main characters, but... It's it's certainly not your classic Dalek story, as in Daleks trying to take over the world or the universe or or whatever. Well, I think that's probably the the problem with the Daleks now, because we've seen that plot with them so many times now, and I think this was was good to do something you know completely different with them, uh, where you think you know you've got you've the Doctor talking to this um, this girl that he's trying to save from, from a crashed ship, and as you say, it turns out to be a Dalek, and I think that's quite a good. Quite a good plot twist. I think that, that that this is sort of this kind of a story is probably the the best future we have for the Daleks is to go in this type of direction more, do less of the classic series Daleks trying to take over and more interesting things with them like this. Because uh, one of the things that I really liked about this story was the fact that, you know, Oswin is a Dalek and we find out that, you know, how do you turn a human into a Dalek? You subtract love and, and add anger. And... I really like the idea of using non-hate, like the opposite of hate, to fight the Daleks. Mm. And you have some a nice parallel in here be- between Amy and, and uh, Oswin. Amy needs to remember love and, and try to hold on to her personality and stay away from the anger so she doesn't get nanobotted into being a human Dalek. And then on the other side, you have Oswin, who has been turned into a Dalek, but 
is holding on to her humanity by, you know, pressing off the hate and focusing on things she loves. So she's, you know, talking to her mom on her mom's birthday, you know, into the, the recorder. She's making souffles. She's cooking. She's doing mm. something she loves. And, you know, listening to Carmen, clearly Carmen is is a piece that, that moves her and, and fills her with joy and love. And those are the things that keep the Daleks out. And that's a, a way that I never really, really would have thought to, to fight the Daleks before. And I know a lot of people complain about Moffat using the power of love to save the world. And I agree that in something like Closing Time, it made me want to barf. But here... <laughs> but... I, do you know, you brought that up, so you brought it up, not quite like barfing, but it, <laughs> it's, it's, it, that is one of my most um, I got detested episodes of the new series. But <laughs> I hate Closing Time. Um a, a because I just thought it, it was a, re, a retread of the lodger. Really, it was almost like you know the the plot points almost identical. And then again at the end, love saves the day. Um, and see, at this time you've got a baby rather than a girl he secretly loved from afar. Um, so yeah, I really I really did like that one at all. And but that's got a lot of fans that story though, hasn't it? Yeah, and I mean I I still enjoy that story just because it's very lighthearted and fun. But I I didn't like that. Completely schmaltzy ending of of love saves the day and the music swells and everybody's supposed to cry. <laughs> In this case, love literally did save the day, but you weren't hammered over the head with it. It was just no. it was used as a tool. Basically, love was a tool that you needed in your toolbox in order to be able to get out of this mess, and it worked. It did. It certainly did. Actually, when you're talking about sort of uh, the the the, uh, the robot thing, I like that weird dream thing that I, that was going oh. on with Amy. Yes. I love that with, with all the, like the with the, the little ballerina and people dancing. I, I love that. Yeah. That's fantastic. I just want a huge shout out to Nick Huron, who directed this story. It is just it is gorgeous in so many ways. And that scene is one of the best examples of of how he put things together. It's just it's so cool. And then um, you have. Uh, I like the, you know how sometimes in movies where a character will start explaining something to another character and then it cuts mm. to something else and then it cuts back and they're clearly like, it's like an hour or two later and that first character is still explaining something, the same thing <laughs> to the second character. It's like, what did they take a break for an hour and a half while they went across town? And the same thing happens here. The doctor is explaining to Amy what's going to happen to her because she lost her little bracelet. And then it cuts away to Rory and then it cuts back and the doctor is continuing his explanation, but they're all the way down the ladder. And, mm. you know, I, I tend to just roll my eyes at that and let it go because it's a storytelling trope that just happens again and again. But here it perfectly makes sense because in a minute you find out that the doctor has told her this four times. So he's just been having the same conversation on a loop. So it gets down there. And I love the, the idea. And that's partially writing partially directing but just that it's a, a time break that makes sense and i think that it that's, does that's really cool it does yeah there's another bit um that i, I seem to recall i loved it the uh, when it was broadcast as well the bit with when the doctor finally breaks into the room where um the oswin dalek is yes. and as well it's this one particular shot where it's sort of high and it's angled down at matt smith's just in the bottom right hand corner of the screen and you've got the, the wall, which has got that funny like crisscross pattern on it, very like stark white with a crisscross pattern. And it seems to sort of arc up towards the top of the screen. And it's a really fantastic shot, an atmospheric shot. Mm -hmm. But it's such a basic shot as well. But I love it. I just love that the whole camera angle, the way it's 
the way it's filmed and I, I just and I'd love that I just absolutely adore that one particular scene it is that whole scene is wonderful I love also the way that he cross cuts back and forth between uh, Jenna Coleman as Oswin talking and then the outside of the Dalek with Nick Briggs doing the vocal performance you know basically the lines just bleed into one another because it's the same yeah. entity saying them and it's just it's super super effective that scene is gorgeous I've got, so I've got a so big shout out to Nick Briggs as well, because I thought he was fantastic doing the Oswin Dalek voice. Oh, yeah. I never thought a Dalek could have so much pathos. No, me neither. Me neither. I mean, no, they sort of went down that route in uh, Dalek with, uh, back in Chris Rebson's right. time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they hadn't really done it since then. And not only was he sort of being sort of like a, a you know, a, a Dalek with feelings, but it was also he's also like doing like a, I suppose underneath it he's probably trying to think as a a, a very frightened girl mm-hmm. as well and and it all came out in his performance. I did, and I and I never really appreciated that appreciated that until until today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one more thing you get at the end uh, there is it's the first appearance, although I didn't know it at the time, of sort of Clara's theme as far as the music goes. Uh, which yes. I felt like we were bashed over the head with a little bit later on, like in the Bells of St. John. We just kept hearing it again and again. But <laughs> I, I noticed watching this, I was like, oh, hey, look, it's Clara's theme. I can, I, I recognize it and pick it out. Like they had it, Murray Gold had it in the bank this early, and then they just kept using it. I liked it. Kept using it, yeah. <laughs> now, the one thing we all personalized, so we haven't spoken about yet, is Matt Smith, oh. actually. Now, now, I must admit, I always have arguments with my wife about Matt Smith because she doesn't like him. What? She doesn't like him at all. She thinks um, he's he's not a good actor. She thinks he's <laughs> his um, his stories are boring, um, and she prefers uh, Chris Eccleston and, and David Tennant. She has no opinion on the old series because she's never actually sat down and watched one of the old series. But um, mm-hmm. now, I, I we have a lot of arguments about this because because <laughs> I think I think Matt Smith is an outstanding actor. I really do think he's outstanding. You know, honestly, I, think- I can't speak for how how good he is as an actor because I've never seen him in anything but this. I, I mm-hmm. so and I haven't really seen him in interviews too much talking like himself. So for all I know, he could. I think he's amazing as the Doctor, but maybe maybe that's not range. That's just perfect casting. <laughs> <laughs> what? Well, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Um, I don't know if it's um, actually my wife does say he looks odd. That's now, true. To me, he does look odd. He does it very, but to me, that makes him a great choice for the Doctor. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of what, for me, makes him even a better Doctor than Eccleston and, and Tennant. And I think I'm coming at Doctor Who from a classic series perspective. And those Doctors, for the most part, were very odd. That was kind of the point. So I can maybe understand how your wife uh, coming to the show from the new series, seeing these, you know, maybe not exactly classically good-looking men, but certainly more hunky, I would say, than than Matt Smith. If if that's what her idea of the Doctor is, then yeah, maybe somebody who's a little bit odd like Matt Smith isn't, isn't going to quite be her, her cup of tea. Uh, but for somebody like me, who wants oddness in their Doctor, because I feel like that's what Doctor Who should be, it's perfect. And I think that as far as Matt Smith's acting goes, I, he's just... Whether it's because that's him or it's because he's acting, I think it's perfect for the Doctor, and he's one of my favorite Doctors. I mean, in this story specifically, I guess I can think of a moment where he has just an amazing amount of information conveyed on his face 
so subtly. Um, so at the end, we have, uh, well, not quite the end, but when they realize that the doctor is going to have to go and get Oswin and bring her yeah. back, um, you know, and Rory's like, are we going to go get her? And, and the doctor says, he has one line. He says, I don't think that we have a choice. And that's all he says. But the look on his face, and you can just see so much because it's a consummate performance. He's, he's resigned and he sort of regrets that he has to go and get her because that's a dangerous thing to do. And he has to leave Amy and Rory. But at the same time, he's twinkling. He is excited because he's the doctor and he's curious and he can't wait to find out what the, this mystery is at the other end because he wants to know where the milk comes from and he knows something is up. So at the same time, he's, he's both excited and determined and kind of bummed that he has to do it and and you never know which is 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 quite the the primary emotion and it doesn't matter because he's the doctor and he can be all of those things at once i I don't think you get that kind of subtlety out of a lot of the other actors that played the doctor no you said i think he's probably as you as you said the most consummate actor to play him so far um i think i know they you know um tenant used to you know, turn on the tears quite a bit mm-hmm. and they tried to make his doctor a bit more emotional and i think his doctor was a bit a bit too human mm-hmm. really for from from and that's that been a, a you know a, a popular uh sort of critique about him but um but i think a lot of the time with david tenant's doctor he if he got a bit angry it'd just be a lot of shouting through gritted teeth Mm-hmm. And there was and there wasn't much more to it than that. But I think with Matt Smith, I think the first time we, we saw that that sort of um where you could sort of turn on the the anger um was in the second story from the fifth series, which this completely escaped me. A beast below, that was it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um it's that bit where he said, Nobody human has got anything to say to me today. Mm-hmm. It's that one line he just he just turns on this shout like that. And I and then for me, I thought, and I and I loved him from the eleventh hour, but it was that moment I thought you know, bang, you're, you're the real deal. I just, I just loved him from that moment forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I like that. He, he is very sort of emotionally broad when it comes to like the goofiness and the silliness, you know, he seems like he's just a swashbuckly sort of physical doctor. Ha ha ha. And he keeps sort of the, the deeper emotions reined in, but they're there. Mm. They are there. Yeah. You can see them if you are if you are watching close enough in the in the the silly scenes, and then when it boils over to the surface, it really I think it means something. Yeah, yeah, I love him. I think he's great. I, I was sort of sad to see him go, to be honest. But uh... yeah, I, I mean, I I could not be more excited for Peter Capelli as the not doctor. me neither. <laughs> but watching this, I. I, I my heart kind of sank a little bit. I was like, "Oh, I miss you, Matt Smith." I was I was surprisingly <laughs> I was surprisingly sad because I think by the end of his run, I I was getting to the point where I was kind of ready to see him go, um, just because I felt like maybe there was a little more Matt Smith sneaking out through the cracks um, mm-hmm. than there was at the beginning. So we were seeing Matt Smith being the Doctor instead of just Matt Smith as the Doctor, sort of. Um, yeah, I, I kept hearing stories about him, you know, bringing extra things into it on set, like some of the kissing and, and st- that sort of stuff was added by Matt Smith. I was like, we didn't need oh, that. Right. I, I no. wish we left that out. <laughs> so, so I was okay with with the timing of of him going, but man, now I am I'm a little bit sad because wow, he's just so good. Exactly, because you watch stories like this and you think, yeah, I I, I really am gonna miss him. But thank God for the DVDs and Blu-rays, is what I'm gonna say. So. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed, indeed. Well, um, is there anything else you want to say about? It? Is there anything you think we haven't we haven't covered? Is there anything else you want else you want to say before uh, before we 
wrap I, up? I feel like we should maybe just touch on the whole uh, overarching bit that, that touches down into the story a little bit about the doctor, his identity and him trying to pretend he's dead and hide and stuff. And that's not something that I'm super excited about. I wasn't totally on board for that part of the plot. But I did mm. think it was a neat trick that... Uh, you know, writing wise, I thought it was very cool that the do- doctor uses his identity against the Daleks. You know, he has that Dalek look him up and say, see, who am I? And then the Dalek tries to explode himself and the doctor puts him in reverse. You know, like he's he's using his identity to his advantage uh, to yes. get him out of his scrape. And then at the end, Oswin flips that completely on its ear. His his identity is what's getting him in trouble. And she completely wipes it out to save him. So I think that that yeah. was kind of a, a nifty little writery trick there from Moffat. But of course, at the end, you do get the Daleks chanting Doctor, Doctor Who. Yes, which was a little bit in your face. And I, I definitely rolled my eyes a couple of times. However, it's not like, you know, people keep yelling at Moffat for this, but it's he's not by any means the first one to do this. If, if you want to get technical, the first person to make the Doctor Who joke was William Hartnell. It was an ad lib from William Hartnell in episode two of An Unearthly Child in 1963. So I don't think that we should really give Moffat so much crap for this because it's been around for a long time, as long as the show has. And you also have Wotan asking for Doctor Who as well in the War Machine. Yes, and throughout the Pertwee era, you get Doctor Who a number of times. I mean, it's, it's, I think maybe people who haven't really dug into the classic series don't realize how long this joke has been around and how often it's been used. So I don't think it's surprising to see somebody who's a classic fan like Stephen Moffat bringing it out. And and yeah, so he built an entire plot line around it. Maybe, <laughs> maybe that was a little much, but you got to give him maybe, credit for trying. Maybe. Yeah, I think you got to really, haven't you? But mm-hmm. uh, I think people are glad he sort of reined that in a little bit now, I yes, think. Yes, yes. Uh, yes, yeah, I'm glad as well. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, actually, I actually be honest. RTD did the same thing as well because I think he made um, Jackie Tyler say it quite a few times as well, especially in yep. um, Chris's Invasion. Was it Doctor Doctor O? Yeah, so that's right. yeah, so <laughs> yeah, so we can't blame Moffat at all. We can't blame him at all. I think he might have just taken it to the next level, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope he sort of he's got tired of the joke now. <laughs> I think maybe maybe he's gotten it out of his system. And maybe he has. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. Well, um, Erica, thank you so much for for joining me today. Thank you for having me. This has been great fun. Yes, it has indeed. And uh, as is customary in these these, uh, situations, could you tell everybody where they can find your excellent podcast? Okay. Well, uh, for Doctor Who podcasting, you can find me at it's veritypodcast.com or we're on Twitter at veritypodcast. And that's uh, myself and five other women from all across the globe talking about Doctor Who. Um, I also actually have a second podcast that just got started. So if you happen to have any Babylon 5 fans in your listening audience, uh, you can find (laughs) us at uh, it's called the Audio Guide to Babylon 5. And we are at uh, b5audioguide.com or at B5 uh, Audio Guide on Twitter. And we are going through uh, every other week watching one episode of Babylon 5 and talking about it. It's so fun. Oh, wow. Because I'm a massive Babylon 5 fan, so I'm going to have to start listening to that. So. To, it's not it's not a huge time commitment because at least at this point we are doing one episode every two weeks. So we'll be at this for a while. <laughs> Five series to get. Are you, you <laughs> going to do all the, uh, the TV movies as well? Uh, we haven't decided exactly what we're going to do. Certainly in the beginning we will do because you kind of have to, but we don't know about yeah. the, the rest of them. And I should point out that even if you've never seen Babylon 5 before, you can still listen to the podcast because the first half of the episode is spoiler free. We just talk about what we've watched 
watched and don't go into anything arc heavy. And then the second half of the podcast is us talking about the continuity of the entire series and the arc, you know, for, for the people who have seen it before. So it's, it's, it's for both audiences. Okay, good, good. I'm going to listen to that then because um, okay. it's one of those things I've, I've, I used to have um, every single episode of Babylon 5 on video. Me too. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, so, but unfortunately when I, when I sort of moved out of my flat and moved in with my wife, that all had to go. There was no room for it, so I had to, yeah. I had to, um, I had to sell it. But um, now I'm sort of tempted to get the, uh, the DVD box set. Off yes. Amazon, it, it, it's coming down in price now. So mm-hmm. I think I'll th- I'm nearly there. I'm nearly there with that. Yay. So <laughs> excellent. Okay, Nerical, thank you so much. So we'll just sign off now. So for another week, then it is goodbye from me, Phil, and goodbye from me, Erica. Goodbye. to the Who's He podcast. Please visit our website at who's-he-podcast.co.uk. You can also follow us on Twitter at who's underscore he underscore podcast. And please also join the Who's He podcast Facebook group. The Who's He podcast is a member of the Doctor Who Podcast Alliance. Mm-hmm.